Welcome to the Power Podcast and the 2020 theme Power Perspective. I'm your host, Malia Warner, discussing ideas to help you become your best self by seeing life in a new way. Sometimes all it takes to gain a new perspective is to ask a good question. And today's episode, we are talking about one of my favorite questions. This is episode 58, Power Question, Why Am I Doing This? A friend of mine from Arizona once told me that when her kids leave for school, instead of saying, have a nice day, she says, ask good questions. I love that. Ask good questions. You can feel the perspective shift of those three words. So instead of going to school thinking, oh, I hope I don't get an F on my test or I didn't finish my book report, that student leaves for school empowered with curiosity. They approach school as an opportunity to seek, find, explore, discover. What a shift, all because of the mindset of asking good questions. That's why today we are going to talk about one of my favorite questions. And it's not the question, what would Jesus do? Though I do like to ask myself that very question from time to time, it doesn't work for every situation. For example, When it comes to what should I make for dinner, if I ask myself, what would Jesus do? The answer is he would probably pawn a couple of guppies and dry rolls from a kid in the crowd and miraculously turn it into a buffet of fish and toast for the masses. Now, maybe I'm lacking faith, but I don't think that trick's going to work for me every evening at 5.30 p.m. So although it's always good to ask what Jesus might do when facing a discussion about choosing right or wrong or being mean or being kind, I just find so many of my decisions have nothing to do with right or wrong. They're just decisions. And Jesus probably doesn't have an opinion about which brand of fabric softener I use. The good Lord is probably more interested that I use the head on my shoulders and figure out how I want my life to function. This is true for other questions as well, such as, should I wash the kids' bedding this week or let it go another month? Should I bake a homemade treat or bring something store-bought to the Scout Court of Honor? Should I paint the bedroom or leave it white? Should I save these five green beans in a storage container or go ahead and throw them out? Should I wear black boots with this dress or strappy sandals? You know what I'm talking about, the deep questions of life. At moments like this is when I find it helpful to grab hold of this handy little inquiry and measure out my dilemma on its scales. And that question is, why am I doing this? What is so awesome about this question is that there are multiple ways to ask it. It's like a buy one question, get three questions free sale. I'll show you what I mean. You'll notice how each variation puts the emphasis on a different word and changes the meaning of the question. Variation number one, why am I doing this? Variation two, why am I doing this? Variation three, why am I doing this? And variation four, why am I doing this? Today, we're going to start with the last word and work our way backwards, exploring how asking ourselves these questions can help us in our decision-making processes. First, let's go with this. Why am I doing this? 
asking why am I doing this gets us to explore the tasks at hand, the actions that we're taking. When I think of the question asked this way, I think of the story about the husband and wife who get married and every Sunday the wife cooks a roast and every Sunday she cuts off each end of the roast, puts it in the pan, bakes it, and they eat their roast. And the husband says, why do you cut off the ends of the roast? Why are you just wasting perfectly good ends of the roast? And she says, I don't know, that's how my mom always did it. So the husband goes to his mother-in-law and said, why do you always cut off the ends of the roast? Why waste the perfectly good ends of the roast? And she says, I don't know, that's what my mother always did. So he tracks down grandma and says, grandma, why do you always cut off the ends of the roast? And grandma says, because that's the only way it would fit in the pan. Another story illustration comes directly from my garden. For some reason in Utah, we are able to grow prolific amounts of zucchini. And I always felt like it was my obligation, responsibility to find a use for every zucchini that grew in my garden, which becomes challenging when the zucchini grows quite large. And this happens overnight. You go out to the garden one day and that zucchini is the size of your little pinky finger. You go out the next day and that zucchini has grown to the size of a Navy battleship, bringing new meaning to the term zucchini boat. So I would pick that zucchini, take it in the house, carve it up, fry it up, serve it for dinner, but we only needed half of it. Then what did I do with the other half? Well, certainly I couldn't throw it away. That would feel so wasteful, even though there would be four or five more Navy battle boat sized zucchini on my plant the very next day. And it took me a while to come to peace with throwing away zucchini, putting it in the compost, putting it back in the garden to be eaten by the worms and to become nutrition for the zucchini for the next year. And to learn that I didn't need to spend my time doing this. Is it my calling in life to be creative zucchini chef? Is it? If it is, then awesome. Then I can spend my time finding creative uses for zucchini. If it's not my calling and my purpose and my passion in life to find a use for every slice of zucchini, then it is okay to let the zucchini go and choose other this. Why am I doing this? Make sense? All right, let's go to the doing. Why am I doing this? A very wise person once said, we are not human doings. We are human beings. And it's helpful to ask, what am I doing and why am I doing this? If we are human beings, not human doings, what are we always so busy doing? I think one of my favorite stories about being a human doing comes from the book Expecting Adam by Martha Beck. It is a memoir, my favorite genre. It is her story of when she and her husband John were graduate students at Harvard and they found themselves unexpectedly pregnant and then later learned that their baby had Down syndrome. And at Harvard at this time, it was unusual just to be pregnant. And Martha said you, that she might as well have been from Neptune as to be a pregnant woman on 
campus. The campus atmosphere was so austere. You did not mention your personal life. You never missed class for being sick or getting married or going to a funeral. Everything was so success-driven that it did not matter what was happening in your personal life. It was all about success. It was all about grades. It was all about climbing the ladder. And so John, this one afternoon, has an appointment with one of the most important professors on campus to talk about his doctorate thesis. And John's behind on his thesis. He's been working two weeks in Singapore and then back in Cambridge two weeks and then back in Singapore. They're unexpectedly pregnant and they've just gotten the diagnosis. So he's sitting outside waiting to meet with this professor. And this is a professor that he has respected and idolized since the time he was an undergraduate student. And even having an appointment with this professor was a big deal. John goes into the office. The office is surrounded with books and papers. And the professor is reading an important article And in the course of the conversation, it comes up that John is not as far along on his doctorate thesis as the professor would expect or as John would want to be. And it comes up about their baby, their pregnancy, and the diagnosis. And the professor fully expects that John and Martha are going to abort the baby and take care of the problem. And John says, no, they're going to go ahead and have the baby. And the professor said, oh, well... If you're going to have the baby because it's against your religion or beliefs or whatever, you know, against abortion, obviously, once you have the baby, you'll immediately put it in an institution. And John says, no, we're going to have the baby and we're going to raise the baby. And the professor goes into a full on lecture chastisement about how foolish John is being and he's ruining his career and he has to focus on all of the work and on working up the ladder and on everything. And as this professor is going on and on, John has this experience looking around the office and the office changes in his eyes. It goes from an office that he almost coveted, that he could see himself in this place as a tenured professor in this important position on campus. And while the professor is talking, he sees the office as a cage. He realizes there are no windows. It's rather small. It's covered in books. He looks to the article that the professor had been reading and realizes that this professor spends hours upon hours reading articles that other people have written so that he can write articles that other people will read and write articles on his articles for other people to write articles on those articles. And all of a sudden, John sees this whole scenario as just a big hamster wheel and that this professor is working and working and working and spending hours and hours reading and writing and reading and writing and reading and writing and not going anywhere. And in the conversation, the professor tells John about a time when he himself as a young student with a new wife discovered unexpectedly that they were pregnant and it was a bad time for them. They had some tests and big commitments coming up and he told his wife that she had to abort the baby. And as the professor paddles on and on, John begins to realize this professor is going to die. I mean, not immediately, but yes, it is imminent. And he wonders who will even come to the funeral. And if this man even has 
any family at all, anyone that cares about him. And this moment in his most respected professor's office is a turning point for John. It cracks open for the first time to him this question of, why am I doing this? He had never really considered it. He had gone to Harvard. That's what you do. It had always been his goal. And he had just been plowing, plowing, running on that hamster wheel and never really stopped to ask himself, why am I doing this? And as their story progresses and the pregnancy progresses, both John and Martha continue to have these experiences where they're taught by this baby, even before this baby is born into their lives, more about the meaning of what life is really all about. And I should say that I do believe, although I've never been there, that Harvard is a more family-friendly, a more personal life-friendly place now than it was some 30 years ago. But ever since I read this story, it just makes me think about that running on the hamster wheel. So the variation of the question number two, why am I doing this? Are the things that I'm doing things that really matter to me that I really want to do? Variation number three, the I. Why am I doing this? Asking the why about the I gets to the heart of what tasks I'm taking on. So a few years ago, I took a house cleaning class. People, I try. The instructors had a circular graph of how to save time cleaning and what factors contributed most to efficient cleaning, including the products that you use, the methods that you use, and guess what the number one factor was? It was like almost half of the graph, the thing that affected most cleaning with an efficient amount of time was getting help. That your cleaning time is cut in third, cut in half, more by not doing it alone than by any methods or products or appliances or anything else that you use. So a couple of stories about this. For a long time over the winter, there was a squash rotting in our garage. It was there from the fall, it had gone bad, and I dreaded for weeks getting on the snow boots, taking the squash, carrying it outside, putting it in the compost. And it just went on and on and on. And finally, one Saturday, I assigned it as a chore. One of my boys chose it and voila, it was done slick as could be. And it was shocking how often I forget to utilize this free slave labor that lives under my roof. I've been experimenting recently. Dinner time is nemesis of my life. I am just no longer loving the scenario where it's me in the kitchen for an hour by myself, getting everything ready, putting it on the table, hot, ready to serve, then calling up the people to show up and sit their hungry booties in the chair and start eating. Now my crowd is older. Their hand-to-eye coordination has significantly improved since the days when they were eight months old and could barely use a baby fork without stabbing themselves in the eye. They can use complex kitchen equipment these days, like vegetable peelers and even a knife here and there. So dinner time here is looking more like when it's time to start dinner, I call everybody up at that point. 
come help with dinner. And we all work together to prepare the dinner. We eat the dinner together and then we all clean it up together. And I'm liking it. Dinner time is more enjoyable to me. I feel like I'm teaching some cooking skills and some kitchen skills in the process. We also have a lot more conversations during that time. It doesn't happen every dinner time. We don't do it all the time. Dad cooks often. Sometimes I end up just cooking too. But I like it. I like this everyone pitching in all together. What I want to say here for you mamas with littles at home is that Your life right now is not about maintaining a clean house. I hope you have thrown that expectation out the window. Having toys out mean that your kids are playing and play is their work. That's how they learn. That's how they explore. You know, if your house is clean, that means the kids have been watching TV all day, right? When you really need the house to be clean, when guests are coming over, you park your kids in front of the television. So this stage of life is not about maintaining a clean house, but it is about training young children towards order, organization, responsibility, work ethic a sense of accomplishment and belonging in the family. So a good goal, rather than feeling that the house needs to be tidy, 100% cleaned up all day, a good goal is to focus on training kids towards organization. Maybe there's one time during the day where you tidy up and you sing the Barney cleanup song. This probably happens at night. But certainly, if you are by yourself cleaning everything up, that's a great time to say, why am I doing this? One last little story that I will tell on my son. He doesn't listen to this podcast. So he takes an early morning religion class, an early morning seminary class, and we take him at 630 in the morning. And That was his choice, by the way, because he wanted to fit stage crew into his schedule. I, on the other hand, would much rather have him take seminary during the daytime, and then I don't have to put on my parka and boots and drive him in an icy cold car at 6.30 in the morning during the winter in Utah. So things were fine fall semester, and then something happened right around the Christmas break, and he stopped waking up on his own, and my husband and I were finding that it was time to leave, and we were going down the stairs to his bedroom and waking him up, and then he was rushing, and I was done with that. I said, why am I doing this? And so one morning, I didn't wake him up, and he slept through his class. And I'm not saying this is the right or wrong parenting thing to do. You get to make your own choices about that. I'm just giving an example that this was one thing, one area of my life that I felt I didn't need to be doing that. That was not a task that I wanted to have part of my life. I wanted to be able to focus on my morning routine, not trekking downstairs to try to rouse a sleepy teenager. So slept through class and didn't know if it would work or not, but he's been waking up on his own ever since and I haven't had to go downstairs and wake him up. So asking the I in the why. Why am I doing this? Number four variation is exploring the why. Why am I doing this? 
Why is the motive? Am I doing this out of obligation, out of duty, out of habit? Is it to keep up an appearance? Am I doing something because I feel the need to keep up a persona or a facade that I have to maintain? So under this, I want to go back to the story Expecting Adam. One of my favorite parts is Martha tells a story that she goes to class one day. It's a graduate level Harvard discussion type class. And she arrives a little early. So she goes upstairs to visit one of her friends who is teaching in the psychology division. And this teacher is conducting research. And I can't remember what type of research it was, but it required a kiddie pool. You know, the the children's sized kiddie pools that you purchase in the summer and you fill them up with your hose. And this particular pool was decorated with Smurfs. You know, those blue cartoon characters that used to be on TV, Papa Smurf and Babette Smurf. I can't remember, Brainy Smurf. And that's, it was a Smurf kiddie pool. So she gets talking with the teacher and they go, go, go. And she realizes that she's running late for class. So she runs back downstairs, goes to her classroom and her colleagues are all in the middle of a discussion and they, oh, Martha, you're late. And she said, oh, I'm sorry. I was just upstairs talking with Dr. So-and-so about her Smurf pool. And the, the colleagues and the professor of the class immediately go, oh yes, I've heard about Smurf's experiments and that fascinating information that they're gathering and someone else in the class pipes in, oh yes, I have, I just read the article about Smurf's research, fascinating things they're discovering. And Martha has kind of this out-of-body experience where she's watching everyone in the class pretend that they know about Smurf's research and they have no idea that she's talking about a kiddie pool painted with blue cartoon people and they all think that Smurf is this some big researcher. And she realizes how everyone at Harvard is just like her. They all feel the need to keep up the appearance that they are intelligent, that they've read every groundbreaking research article that has come out and that they can never let down their guard that maybe they missed something. And she has this really aha moment of what is going on here. And so like her husband, this is one of her first experiences that really cracks her open and gets her asking, why am I doing this? What is this really all about? Do I even really want the Harvard degree? Do I really want the academic lifestyle? We do a lot of stuff in our life out of duty, social pressure, religious tradition, family tradition, cultural tradition, habit. And these can all be decent reasons. I probably the majority of the time feed my children because I'm obligated to do so. (laughs) I'll work on that getting to the more altruistic motives. I love them too. But you get my point here. Stopping to ask ourselves why leads to greater self-awareness, which leads to deeper purpose and meaning and opens a life lived with greater passion. What is my why? 
am I doing this because I feel I should, ought, or have to? You can go back and listen to episode number two, What Do I Want? The Power of Desire. And that episode talks about finding out our why. You can see why it's a powerful question. And there are so many times you can use it individually, with your spouse, with your family, just stopping and asking, why are we doing this? Why are we fighting? Why are we arguing about this? Why are we constantly having this mess in this particular place? Just stopping and asking the question immediately shifts perspective and gets you out of the automatic brain mode and into your deliberate, authentic self mode. It's the power of asking good questions. And this is a good question. Why am I doing this? Hope it helps this week as you find opportunities to ask yourself the questions. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And why am I doing this? This is Malia Warner. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Remember to leave a review. Why? Because I would really appreciate it and it helps this podcast to grow. And if you can't figure out how to access the podcast reviews, enslave a teenager to help you with the task. Have a great week, my friends. Bye-bye.